Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Are you ready for some football? Well, Walters is, and Walters has all of the games for you all weekend long. Reservations are limited and can be found on all Walters social media channels. Walk-ins will also be available, but will be on a first-come, first-serve basis. So don't get left out and make your reservation today. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, thanks for downloading and subscribing as always. Before we get started with the show, just want to give you a heads up. Al's mic was uh, struggling just like Josiah Gray in the first inning, so you'll be hearing his Zoom feed for the first segment today, but at about minute 11, you'll be back to hearing the same microphone you always hear from Al. Appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you soon as we recap now the Nats' 9-8 loss to the Rockies. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 0-1. Runner goes from first now. Stops and a drive. Well hit to left center field. Ranging back Hampson to the warning track. To the wall. Climbing the wall. And there it goes. Lane Thomas with a three-run homer to the first row of the Brewhouse Red Seats. And the Nationals lead it now 6-2. to two. two balls, two strikes. Maldonado holds his high set. He deals. Swing a long drive to right. This is way back, and it is long, long gone. Off the facing of the upper deck, Rockies are in front on Sam Hilliard's 11th home run of the season. Finnegan looking in, series of signs. Runners second and third, one out. A run home, the score tied 8-8, top of the ninth. Here's the set, here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive into left field, a base hit. That'll score one run, and the Rockies are back in front here in the top of the ninth inning. It's Colorado 9 and Washington 8. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, September 18, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the Nationals on Friday night, a 9-8 loss to the Colorado Rockies in game one of a three-game series. The series is taking place at Nationals Park, although if you just look at the box score, you'd think that maybe this happened at Coors Field. This was a Coors Field-esque game, a whole lot of offense, a whole lot of back and forth, not a whole lot of pitching. Mark, I guess you could say that the Nationals were gracious hosts and that they made the Rockies feel just at home on Friday night. So I had the exact same thought, Al, watching the end of this game. And my thought is, if this is what the games are going to be like between these teams at Nationals Park, what are the games going to be like in a week and a half when they meet at Coors Field? I can't even – it's going to be five hours instead of four hours. And God knows what the final score of those games are going to be. This was absolutely a Coors Field-esque game. It was like, can anybody get anybody out, please? And the answer, unfortunately, is no, at least if you're a member of the Nationals bullpen. And it's troubling. I mean. I know we're not 
going deep into you know wins and losses here, but the way they keep losing these games is to me really demoralizing because there was a point a few weeks ago that we thought, yeah, you know what, this bullpen, there may be some interesting parts in there. And at this point, it's hard to say that there's anybody in there that you're really excited about moving forward. They all may have their moments, but to me, they're, they are on fumes at this point. And these last two and a half weeks are going to be really tough when you have to keep calling on the same guys over and over and somehow expect the results are going to be different. The bullpen cannot be trusted at all. Each guy is capable of doing well, but each guy is also capable of being a complete mess. No one is immune to being a mess. And when it comes to moving forward, you know, save for the Matt Albers principle of any reliever in any given year is capable of doing anything, you don't feel great about any of these guys. I mean, you, you just do not feel any real confidence in any of these guys. And unfortunately, we have to put Kyle Finnegan into that mix at this point. Like, he has done some good things, but... He's not someone at this point who you feel great confidence in when he goes out there. He does not look confident. Now, I know, you know, it's not always easy to figure out, like, how is a guy feeling inside? But, you know, he gives up that leadoff home run in the ninth inning, and you could see it on his face. It's almost like he felt like something like that could be coming, and then the inning got away from him beyond that. And, you know, I mean, the Nationals score eight runs in this game. The Nationals offense, they're doing their job. They're scoring runs. They're getting hits. But, geez. You shouldn't have to score nine runs, 10 runs to win a game. I mean, the pitching is just awful this year. It starts with the starting pitching, and we'll get to Josiah Gray. But man, Alberto Baldonado and then Kyle Finnegan, you know, you get some good stuff in between those two. And I feel like we've said that, you know, about a million times this season in terms of some relievers were good, but not all of them were good. And when you use four relievers, it's hard for all four to be good. You know, what it feels like right now is it almost doesn't matter how many runs they score offensively. They score five, they're going to give up six. They score eight, they're going to give up nine. They're always finding a way to not take advantage of whatever offense they get. And it's so frustrating. I mean, I was thinking about this, like pick the different ways that a team can consistently lose games. What is the hardest, most agonizing way to watch a team lose games? Is it the team that can't score any runs and loses, you know, two nothing all the time? Is it the team that gets blown out every night and, you know, their starters knocked out in the third inning and, you're down by eight, nine runs and never come back? Or is it the team that has a lead late and cannot trust its bullpen? To me, I think that's the hardest one. Maybe just because I've seen a lot of it over the years here. <laughs> Even in good years for the Nationals, that's been a too common formula for them. To me, that's the hardest one because you've done everything right to win a game and you just can't close it out. And those are demoralizing. And I'm telling you, th th this wears on those guys. I know it does. This is not what they want to be dealing with right now, no matter if they're rebuilding mode or not. I think certainly from an emotional standpoint, that's the worst way to lose a baseball game. And the Nationals keep losing games. Oh, by the way, the Nationals officially eliminated from postseason contention on Friday night. That may surprise some people that had not yet actually happened. It happens on Friday night. So you can remove any thoughts of the Nationals pulling off any kind of miracle run here. They will, in fact, not be making the postseason this year for a second consecutive year. And it is something else. This will go down as the first time since 2010-2011 that the Nats missed the playoffs in back-to-back -back years. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable achievement for an organization to have. So I do salute the Nationals in that regard. But yeah, it is another playoffless season. And, you know, we hope it's not the start of like a run of like, you know, three, four, five years without the postseason. But that'll be the, the job of the front office to avoid that here. So with the bullpen on Friday night, 
Alberto Baldonado comes into the game, top of the six, runner on second, one out, gives up a one-out RBI single to Ryan McMahon, and then a two-out, two-run homer to Sam Hilliard, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. We then get good stuff from Mason Thompson and Patrick Murphy. Thompson, perfect top of the seventh. Murphy, perfect top of the eighth. And then Kyle Finnegan has his latest issues. Two runs in the top of the ninth. He gives up a game-tying leadoff homer to Elias Diaz to left field to tie the game at eight. Finnegan allows another run on a single, a stolen base, a seven-pitch walk in which the batter was down in the count at 1.12, a sacrifice bunt, and then a one-out tie-breaking RBI single by Brendan Rodgers for a 9-8 Rockies lead. And, you know, on another night, it could have been Thompson and Murphy struggling and Baldonado and Finnegan doing well, but these guys can't be counted on right now, and we get what we ended up getting on Friday night. With Finnegan, I mean, there's no sign that he's, like, hurt, is there? I mean, this is just him struggling because I mean, you know, he, he did have those few days off where they didn't use him and you, you thought, well, maybe is he dealing with something, but obviously he was out there on Friday night. He, he didn't seem to be injured pitching. We'll never know for sure without them saying anything, but to me, it's not maybe an injury, but I think he's just worn down. I think a lot of these guys are, I think they're on fumes at this point. They are essentially pitching every other day. That's not hundred percent accurate in, in every case, but it feels like every one of those guys has to pitch every other day. And if you think about that over a long season, It's essentially an 80-game pace for everyone. That's too much. Now, I understand why they're in this position. It's because the starters aren't going deep, and Davey Martinez has to use like four relievers every night. Well, if you have an eight- or nine-man bullpen, that means pretty much every other night that you're pitching. So I I think especially in Finnegan's case, when you're the only one that they really have faith in, and you're going to pitch in every close game, and by the way, the team is in close games all the time. You know, they're not winning games by six runs where they can avoid using him, and they're not losing games by six runs. It feels like every game is down to the wire, and so he's at least having to warm up, if not come into the game. I just would not be surprised at all if at this stage, this late, if he's just worn down. And that doesn't mean he's hurt, but it's a tough spot to be in. You know, we have to remember he's he's only in his second big league season, and last year was 60 games. This one's 162. So some of these guys are in this position for the first time in their careers. And I don't know what the solution is because you have to use whoever you've got and they don't have a lot of reliable options. To me, the best thing that could happen would be for a starter to go seven or eight innings and the offense to score a bunch of runs. And you can, you know, use one reliever for two innings and close out the game and give everybody a day off. But this team is just not built to do that right now. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith. With a K. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fastball inside, ball four. So back-to-back walks to start the game for Gray. And he is in trouble already. Six pitches to Hampson, seven to Rogers. Frustratingly, one and two on Hampson, 0 oh and two on Rogers. Is it the mound now from the catcher? So the national starting pitcher on Friday night was Josiah Gray, and he struggled again. Struggled for a fourth consecutive start, five runs in five and a third innings. Now, I think he was better than that final line indicates, but the better only goes so far. He only gave up three hits, that's true, but each hit was an extra base hit, a homer and two doubles. He issued four walks and a wild pitch, as the control now really has emerged as the thing. You know, there's still that home run problem, but man, is he walking a lot of guys. He did have five strikeouts. He threw 58 strikes versus 36 balls. On 94 pitches. It looked like it was going to be a disaster of an outing beginning with that first inning. Two runs in the top of the first. Gray issues a leadoff six pitch walk of Garrett Hampson, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. Then Gray issues a wild pitch. Then Gray issues a seven pitch walk of Brendan Rodgers, despite him having been down to the count of 1.02. Then Gray gives up a first pitch RBI double off the right field wall to Charlie Blackman on what was nearly a home run. Then Gray gives up a one-out first pitch RBI sack fly to Charlie Crone. Now, Gray does then settle down. After that double by Blackman in the top of the first for the 2-0 Rockies lead, Gray retired 14 of 15 batters. So that was good. But he then gives up two more runs in the top of the fifth, strikes out the first two batters, but then issues a walk, a two-out eight-pitch walk of Garrett Hampson, despite him having been down to the count of 1.02. Then Gray gives up the homer, the two-out, two-run homer by Brendan Rodgers on an 0-2 pitch into the Rockies' bullpen behind the left center field wall to cut the Nats' deficit to 6-4. And then Gray gets charged with a run in the Rockies' three-run six, during which he gave up a leadoff double to Trevor Story on a 1-2 pitch. There were a number of counts in this game in which Gray had guys in put-away territory did not put those guys away. And that in conjunction with the walks leaves us with yet another subpar outing for Josiah Gray. So yeah, those are the two points here. The walks, I think it starts with that. And that is the most troubling thing over the last several outings from him is how many guys he's putting on base for free. And when you walk the first two batters of the game, 
and add a wild pitch in there, you know it's an uphill battle now the rest of the way. And he ends up walking four and three of the four end up scoring. So that's a bad way to live life. You said he only got three hits, but when you're giving free passes, you're just enticing them to make the most of those. So I think it starts with that. Now, to his credit, like you said, he figured it out. He was, I thought, very good. That was the sharpest he's looked in a couple of weeks, but he couldn't finish the job. And that's where the two strike thing comes into play. You got two outs, nobody on an 0-2 count on somebody, and you end up walking him. How many times have the Nationals this year turned an 0-2 count into a walk? That is a huge problem. And I don't know why this is the case. I don't know if this is them trying to get too fine at this point and not just trusting that they can throw it over the plate to get outs. They're going for the strikeouts instead of just trying to get outs. I don't know if it's that. I don't know what it is. But that has been a repeated pattern all year round for almost everybody on the staff, turning an 0-2 count into 3-2 and then a walk. And then the home run on an 0-2 count. (laughs) So he did throw it over the plate and the guy crushed it. So the inability to put hitters away is a major problem, not just for Josiah Gray, but for a lot of guys. But that sequence there in the fifth, that to me set up everything else that happened in the game because you're two outs, nobody on in the fifth. The pitch count's relatively decent. I think he's going to get through the fifth on like 75 pitches if he can finish off Hampson. And he ends up walking him, then the homer. By the time you get to the sixth, the pitch count's up to 85, and you know he's probably not going to finish that inning. Leadoff double sort of sealed his fate there. If he can get through the fifth clean, now he's got a chance to get through the sixth clean. And all of a sudden, you only need three innings from your bullpen. And so to me, that just set everything back. And it's why, above all else, the number one issue with this team continues to be an inability by their starters to get deep enough in the game to take the pressure off the bullpen. So there were good things in here for Josiah Gray, better than we've seen from him. But those little things, the way he started the game with the walks and the way he wasn't able to put away the hitters there in the fifth, that to me is the thing you got to clean up because that makes the difference in a game. Josiah Gray now has thrown 53 and a third major league innings this season with the Nats and the Dodgers. His overall numbers include an ERA of 624, a whip of 144, a home runs per nine innings of 304, and a walks per nine innings of 456. He now has had four consecutive bad starts off having begun his tenure with the Nationals at the major league level with five consecutive good starts, you know, to varying degrees. So the number of bad starts now is nearly equal to the number of good starts. I was going to say this is troubling. I don't want to overreact to this because we know this is a young pitcher who's trying to find his way. But this certainly is not encouraging that a guy who initially looked this good is not doing well now. And there were those mechanical issues a few starts ago that Davey Martinez talked about. You know, this is another pitcher now this season on the Nationals who's gotten worse, who's regressed. And it's impossible to ignore this. If you're a Nationals fan, people get worse. They don't get better. And I know with Gray, it's different than it is with someone like Corbin, because again, Gray's a younger pitcher and he's growing and developing. But man, like this was, this felt like not that long ago, okay, we're going to end this season with Josiah Gray pitching well and feeling like he's a piece for next season. I don't know what to think right now. He's talented, but every start, it feels like is a real struggle. And the numbers at this point are not pretty. Yeah. And he's running out of time to leave, uh, you know, head home for the winter on a good note. I think he's probably got what, three more starts maybe. Yeah. So, you know, this would have been a really nice one to establish that in. And again, that stretch, I mean, that's a 15 batter stretch and he looked very good. And it was like the switch flipped somehow for him. 
those first couple batters, he was, it was the same problem. I mean, these are non-competitive pitches that are starting out of the zone and finishing even farther out of the zone. And then all of a sudden after that, he clicked and he's getting ahead in the count, throwing, breaking balls that start at the knees and then break down. And that's how he's uh, getting them to swing and miss at it. And then, you know, the blips there at the end that kind of ruin it for him. So, I, you know, I guess I could say this was better, that there were some better signs in those last few ones, but he needs a quality start here at some point. And I'm not talking about the literal definition of a quality start, six inning, three runs, although that'd be nice too. But just a start that when he walks off the mound, you can say, okay, that was good. That was something to build off of. And like we said, he's running out of time. He's only got three more of these, I think, before the season's over. Yeah, and you could argue the two worst things you can do as a pitcher are give up homers and walk batters, and those are his two biggest problems. That's concerning. He gives up homers, he walks batters, and those two things in concert are particularly damaging. Well, the Nationals hit again on Friday night. I mean, I know we keep saying this, but it really is remarkable. The Nationals truly are one of the better hitting teams in the National League, and the Nats were at it again on Friday night. Eight runs on 14 hits and five walks. It was interesting. The Nats lose this game 9-8 despite out-hitting the Rockies 14-8. We know that the Rockies are not a good pitching team. The Rockies are never a good pitching team. I don't know that the Rockies ever will be a good pitching team because of that field and because it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy thing of good pitchers don't want to go there, and so the bad pitching just continues. But man, up and down the lineup, the Nationals continue to get big-time contributions. But I guess we'll start with the best hitter in the lineup and the best hitter on the planet, Juan Soto, on base four times again. And you noted something during this game with Soto doing that. This really is something else. Go ahead and relay that to everybody. All right. So this is the 21st time this year that Juan Soto has reached base four times in a game. And the last major leaguer to do that was a guy by the name of Barry Bonds in 2004. Go look up Barry Bonds' 2004 stat line, by the way. It's the all-time insane season. We think about 01 when he hit the 73 homers, 02 when they went to the World Series. Look at his 04. That is peak out of this world, Barry Bonds. Who knows what was inside his body helping him make it happen. But nobody since that season has reached base four times in a game, 21 times, and now Juan Soto has done it. And yes, some of this is pitchers shying away from him, but that's not all of it. I mean, he's not chasing. And as we've said, he is hitting the ball with authority. Since the all-star break, he's slugging well over 600. All that concern the first half of the year about, oh, he can't get the ball in the air. Everything's ground balls, double plays. That is a thing of the past, my friend. He is hitting the ball with authority when he gets the chance. And when he doesn't, he's taken his walks. He had three of them in this game. And we are just shaping up here for a pretty compelling. Maybe the team isn't going to be all that compelling, but these last two weeks, I am fascinated to see where Juan Soto ends up both in the batting title race, chasing his old teammate Trey Turner, and perhaps in the MVP race, also perhaps chasing his old teammate Bryce Harper. He is on fire right now to end the season. The Barry Bonds slash line in 2004, a 362 batting average, a 609 on base percentage, and an 812 slugging percentage. Not his OPS was 812. His slugging percentage was 812 in 2004. Man, when you got all kinds of chemicals running through your veins, and yes, when you can hit, you can do things that are otherworldly. And Bond certainly did for a few years there in the uh, early aughts. But yeah, Juan Soto gets on base four more times on Friday night. The guy is tremendous. 
The guy is just incredible with the plate selection. One for two with a single and three walks uh, in the game. But it wasn't just Juan Soto who did his thing. Lane Thomas got on base three more times in this game. Two for five with a three-run homer, an infield single, and a walk. Uh, Thomas in the Nats, 4-1 fourth inning, a two-out three-run homer to left center field for a 6-2 Nats lead. The home run going up projected 404 feet per stat cast. So Lane Thomas continues to deliver. At some point, we're going to call it with him as the everyday center fielder for next year. We're getting closer, but uh, I suppose we're not there yet. Kbert Ruiz had another three-hit game on Friday night. Three for five with an RBI double. Now the set. Here's the pitch. Swung on line. Drive left center field toward the gap. And down for a base head. Bell scores from third. Hernandez heading for third. Ruiz is in the second with an RBI double. And two singles. The double coming in the Nats. Two-run first inning. A two-out game tying opposite field. RBI double to the left center field gap to tie the game at two. And how about Mr. Contact, Alcides Escobar, two for five with a double and an RBI single. Bottom of the fourth, a two-out full count, opposite field double to the right center field gap. And then how about the piece of hitting by Escobar in the Nats' two-run eighth, a one-out game-tying RBI single to right field, despite having been down in the count at 1.02. Again, Escobar does this all the time, down 0-2-1-2, turns a plate appearance into a productive one. But the other thing with Alcides Escobar is the plate coverage. And on this hit, he basically just pokes a pitch that is low and away into right field, to tie the game at seven. Alcides Escobar is never going to lead the lead in uh, exit velocity. But man, does any batter in baseball do a better job of covering home plate? He exemplified that phenomenon with what he did on that RBI single in the two-run eighth. And he has another multi-hit game on Friday night. I was thinking of you on that hit, Al, because that was the classic garbage hit, as you've called him so often. Such a garbage hit. But it's great. You love it. You're first, you're like, why are you swinging at that pitch? The reason is because he can do it (laughs) and he can make contact and he can find a hole. And he is so good at that for whatever reason that very few people can do it. I love it. I love to see guys who can do it that way. That is a, he would have fit right in in 1985 on the Cardinals, right? He would have been perfect on that team at Bush Stadium with the the artificial turf. Here's a stat. I did not realize this until uh, I saw a flash on the screen Then I looked it up. And it's gotten even better, thanks part to that hit. This season with runners in scoring position, Alcides Escobar is hitting 392. And it's not that small a sample, 20 for 51 with runners in scoring position. That is really tremendous. And I don't know what the strikeout numbers are, but he must have hardly any strikeouts in those situations either. He's just getting the bat on the ball and finding a hole. I love it. I'm not saying this guy's a future star. I have no idea what he still has in him beyond this year, but it's been a lot of fun to watch. It's been really one of the true pleasant surprises of the season. And whether it's with the Nationals or whether it's with someone else, I hope for his sake, he gets a decent contract this winter and has a whole second career here because here's someone who looked like, by all accounts, his major league career was over the last few years. He has earned the right to be a big leaguer with what we've seen from him this year. 60 plate appearances for Alcides Escobar with runners in scoring position this season. OPS of 1,019. So it's not like just a bunch of singles. He's slugging 588 with runners in scoring position. And to answer your question, just eight strikeouts with runners in scoring position on the year. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting price point come the offseason. I'm assuming the Nats are going to re-sign Alcides Escobar and they're going to want to bring him back. I mean, I suppose you say, hey, just here's a one-year contract, but I don't know, maybe someone out there offers him a multi-year deal, like gives him a two-year deal. You know, you don't know that he has been the 
offensive force question mark that he has been this year is really shocking. He was legitimately one of the worst players in baseball in his last regular season, 2018. I'm not exaggerating that when I say that. He had a war of minus 2.2 per baseball reference that year and that he has produced as he has this year for the Nationals. I mean, it's all relative. Like he's not an elite shortstop or anything like that, but he's been a productive one. And this this ball to bat skill that he possesses that so few guys now possess, it really is remarkable. And if you watch the Nats on a day in, day out basis, like a lot of people listening do, although more and more, I think people probably are, are just listening to this podcast to follow the team, which is just fine either way. But I really respect what Alcides Escobar does. That's not an easy thing to do. Like if you need an at-bat in which the guy has to make contact, your life's on the line at this point. Is he not the guy you put your life on the line with on the Nationals? Like Alcides will make contact. Who knows what happens with it? But you know he's going to put the bat on the baseball. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'll take him over Soto just for putting the bat on the ball. Yeah. But let's let's be clear here. I'm not saying with the game on the line, I want Alcides Escobar to play it over Juan Soto. But if it's just we have to make contact in this at bat, yeah, I'll take him. And, you know, it, it occurs to me, we were just talking about who knows what kind of contract he might get. If you're the Nats, would you maybe before the season is over, come to him with an offer? Say, hey, we're going to bring you back for uh, – you know, one year, five million, and we'll throw an option in on top of that. Something like that, just to like not even let him have a chance at free agency, just to make sure. And maybe it's a deal that, you know, because it's still relatively low, that if you do find an, a bigger name shortstop out there that you want to add, you can do that and he can still be a utility guy. You know, we don't really know what's going to be with Luis Garcia, Carter Keeboom. There could be other opportunities for him to play at other positions and maybe jump the gun on that one. You know, while the feeling's good here, and don't let somebody else swoop in and take him from you. Obviously, he's happy here. It's gone well. Maybe make him an offer here before the season's over. Yeah, I mean, if he's open to it, you know, I'm almost like maybe he would want to see what the market gives him. But yeah, if this is going to be the dark winter that a lot of people are anticipating, a guy in his mid-30s like this maybe should just jump on an offer like that. You know, it, it, it's always an interesting thing in baseball, right? Like, what are the trends? And the trend for so long has been against guys like Alcides Escobar, right? Contact hitters don't hit for a lot of power. But this is kind of those one of those classic things of zigging while zagging, like that which is not popular, that which is not in fashion, all of a sudden becomes more valuable because it's a resource that is in scarcity, right? It's not something that a lot of people can do. So if you have someone who can do something that a lot of other people can't do, by definition, that's value. And, you know, we understand it's not going to be something that's going to cost you a ton of money to keep this guy. But he has this unique skill that many others do not. So why not take advantage of that for another year? It's just, it's, you know, it's a stunning deal, right? An early July trade, cash considerations to the Royals. The Nats made this trade out of desperation. I mean, it's not like they were, you know, lusting after Alcides Escobar all this time. It was like trying to just, you know, fill up lineup spots with all these injuries. And they make this trade and Alcides Escobar has been a fixture in the middle of the infield ever since then. It's maybe the single most stunning thing about this national season. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. 
Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers, is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Hey Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington Nationals stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. 3-2, swung on, ground ball, base hit into right center field. Adams around second, heading for third. Blackman up with it. The throw will go to second. Tying run 90 feet away. Sim is two for two. A pinch hit double in the bottom of the eighth inning. Eventually scored a run. The Nationals scored two in that inning to go ahead. Now he has another hit here in the bottom of the ninth, getting the tying run from first to third. Well, another viejo, another older National who continues to produce is Ryan Zimmerman. This thing of him becoming better as a pinch hitter continues to be a thing, and it was on display again on Friday night. Zimmerman off the bench, and he has two hits. That's not bad. Uh, you enter the game in the later innings, and you finish with a two-for-two two ball game, a double and a single. Zimmerman in the Nats' two-run eighth, a pinch, went out first pitch, double to left field, and Zimmerman in the bottom of the ninth, a two-out full-count single. He looks so much more comfortable as a pinch hitter. He's been so much more productive as a pinch hitter, and I tell you what, if Zimmerman truly is undecided about playing again next year, I've got to think his recent success only helps to push him uh, in the direction of playing again, like to the idea of can he still do this? Uh, he's showing us that he can still do this. Yeah, I agree. If he's going to walk away from this right when things are starting to go well, <laughs> that's a tough thing to do. Yeah. I mean, it's just human nature. You say, hang on a second, I can still do this. Why would I want to walk away from this while I still have it? So here's here's the numbers. His last 10 pinch hit appearances, he's now five for eight with a double, a homer, and two walks. So he's reached base in seven of his last 10 pinch hitting appearances. He's doing something right. And that was aggressive, came right out at the first pitch, hammered the double. And, you know, it didn't help them win the game in the end, but I thought it was a savvy move by Davey to then double switch to leave him in the game and take Bell out because that did allow Zimmerman to come up to bat again in the ninth and, you know, very nearly help them come back again to win it in the ninth. So he's finishing strong. <laughs> he's healthy. We talked about it the other day that, you know, he says he's probably not going to decide anything till after the season is over, but as much as I thought at one point, well, there's not really a whole lot of reason for him to come back. I think he'd be at peace with it right now if he walked away. If you're performing like this and you your body feels good and you want to put it through it again, because maybe he's not even just thinking about one more year. Maybe he's thinking about more than that. And maybe there's some chance that he could still be here when this team was ready to win again. That's a crazy thought. You can't get too caught up in this stuff. But I, <laughs> whatever he ends up doing, I think we can say Ryan Zimmerman can still play. 
If he retires, he's leaving on a high note. That is crystal clear with the way he's playing. And it's nice to see. And if nothing else, you know, you feel good about watching him in his final games as in that. But maybe these aren't his final games as in that. You can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Interesting question from Fred. He asks, are the Nats at risk of becoming the Angels? Looks that way to me. They need so much pitching to be decent as planned in 2023. With Strauss and TOS, he is no longer a true number one. And from there, it's maybes and guys who don't have it. So I I guess what Fred is getting at is, as the Angels have wasted Mike Trout, are the Nationals in danger of wasting Juan Soto? Of course, the counter to that would be the Nationals have already won a World Series with Juan Soto. So you can never say that the Nats are wasting Juan Soto the way that the Angels are wasting Mike Trout and uh, wasting Shohei Otani and to a degree wasting Anthony Rendon. And there have been some others in the mix over the years as well. The Angels, it really is shameful what's happened with them. And the Angels do spend money, so it's not like they're not trying. But man, that they have this, not just generational player, but maybe all-time great player in Trout and have made the playoffs once since Mike Trout made it to the majors, 2014. That's something else. Like whatever you want to say about the Nationals, they haven't won a lot of playoff series, but they won the World Series and they at least have made a bunch of postseasons. What do the Angels have to show for the talent that that team has accumulated uh, over the years? And they didn't even win a game in that series. They were swept by the Royals. That was the magical Royals out of nowhere year, winning the wild card game and going all the way to the game seven of the World Series. It is crazy that that has happened. When I think of the Angels, I think of even more extreme. You know, we talked about the Nationals for so long as being top heavy. Their roster, that their 10 best players were fantastic, but no depth beyond that. The Angels are even more than that. It's like their top five are insane. Five of the biggest stars in the game. But after that, what do they have? especially on the pitching side. They just have nothing. And so they have legitimately squandered the peak of Mike Trout's career and perhaps even Otani as well with what's happened with him. But they have not been able to supplement their star power. They've got great star power. They have not been able to supplement it. And it is a reminder that as much as we want to think that the best players are who you want on your team and that the stars win, you need some of that, but you need a lot more than that. You need depth to win in the big leagues. And the Angels have not had that at all. So yeah, I'm not really putting the Nationals in quite that same category. I get where he's coming from. And certainly at the moment, severely lacking in pitching. And that would be the concern is that you have a team that maybe hits really well, has an all-time great player in Soto, and you're never going to have the pitching to make it worthwhile. But you know, this is the first year that's the case. So let's see where they are in a year or two before Soto becomes a free agent again. You would hope that the pitching staff is much improved by then, either from in-house or moves they make from the outside. Yeah, the Angels also have been the kings of the dummy contracts. You know, Albert Pujols, Josh Hamilton, a lot of money has been spent uh, inappropriately by the Angels over the years. We also want to note this. So we ask you guys all the time to subscribe to the podcast, leave five-star ratings for the podcast, write like a one or two-sentence review for the podcast, Uh, You can do those things on Apple Podcasts. It helps out the cause of the pods. That's why we asked for that. We got this comment recently from Mike on Apple Podcasts. He says, Nat's chat keeps me sane on my morning park walks in a virtually lockdown Chiang Mai, Thailand. Thank you. So as Mike is dealing with the lockdowns in Thailand, he's listening to the Nat's chat podcast. I love uh, anecdotes like that. So thank you, Mike. We salute you. Thank you, Mike. And we need a we need to put up a map <laughs> and like with a, a peg for every country that we've now hit. I mean, we are literally all over the globe. It's really cool to see this. We've heard from so many of you from 
all over the globe. And it does show you that as much as we think of, especially baseball as kind of like this, people love their local team. It's so much easier now than it used to be to be a fan of a team, no matter where you are, because you can stream games, because you can listen to podcasts, because everything is there for you at a, uh, at a fingertip because of the internet. It's really cool to see how many Nationals fans there are literally around the globe. And uh, every time we hear from them, it just it just makes me appreciate what we've got here. It, it's, it's a really a special thing. And I'm, I'm glad to hear from all of you. Well, the next time there is international conflict, as Jerry said years ago, look to the cookie, look to the National Chat podcast, because we can maybe unite countries, people who are engaging in differences, bring them together with the phenomenon that is the Nats Chat Podcast. You tell us what you think. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We continue to welcome your tales of October 2019. How did you experience the Nationals winning the World Series? Also, uh, we're looking for predictions for 2022 for the Nationals. Again, just record yourself uh, speaking into your phone, and you can send the file to us, and we'll play what you say on the podcast. The email address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. Uh, you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt as well. Just go to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. It is Escobar and he swings and hits it into left center. Back at the track. It is dropped. Cespedes couldn't make the catch. How about that effort? Digging around third. Here comes Escobar, 1-0 Kansas City. And inside the park home run for Alcides Escobar to start the World Series. I can't believe he threw a fastball over the plate, first pitch. It's the 12th inside the park home run in World Series history. But again, you have to pitch Escobar as if the count is 0-2 when he steps into the batter's box. You know he's swinging.